Um, today's uh, passages will actually be from, uh, will be two passages from the book of Revelation, and you'll find it on page 995 of the Church Bibles. The Great Multitude in White Robes. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing the white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Our next reading is um, still in Revelation, chapter 21, verse 1 to 8. A new heaven and a new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this. The unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all litas, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. From a very young age, I had a vision, and that was to become filthy rich. My parents were refugees, uh, they were hard laborers, and we were poor. Uh, but I wanted a better life for my family, and I thought money was the answer. And so becoming super rich was my vision for life. Uh, it steered the course of my life. Uh, so when I was in primary school, I was really great at playing marbles. I don't know whether you play the game. It's a fantastic game. And I was really good at it. And so what I'd do is I'd play with my friends. I'd win their marbles, and then I'd sell it back to them. By the time I graduated from primary school, I had over $1,000 in the bank. When I was in high school, uh, my vision to become filthy rich continued to motivate everything I did. So I studied hard. I got good grades. Uh, I, I even got an interview for med school at Monash University, uh, but I didn't get in. I got into optometry instead at Melbourne Uni, uh, but I wasn't interested because I thought it wasn't going to make me enough money. So I got out of it. I went into uh, commerce to major in finance. And in my second year at uni, I started an IT business with a couple of mates uh, at, at uni called Omexa Solutions. And so there I was. Realizing my dreams, my vision for a better life for me and my family. My vision was to become a multi-millionaire by the time I would be 35 years old. And what I'd do is then I'd retire. And then I'll self-fund my ministry. I'll go into full-time gospel ministry and I'll fund it myself. That was my dream. That was my goal. That was how I thought I could serve God best. I wonder what your vision for your life is? What drives you? 
What gets you up in the morning? What motivates you? What do you spend most of your time talking to your friends about? Because we all have a personal vision in life, don't we? A picture of our future self that we aspire to become, that we hope will become a reality. It could be as simple as settling into a nice suburb, living a comfortable lifestyle with minimal stress and pressure. It could be as simple as uh, being financially secure with a healthy investment portfolio and being able to provide well for your family. It could be as simple as retiring to a loving family with your children and your grandchildren by your side. Now, please don't hear me say that any of these things are, are bad in themselves. Not at all. But if that's all you're living for, if that's what ultimately drives your life, your decisions, what defines your life, then you're going to be missing out on being part of God's vision for your life. And so today we kick off our commitment month. And what we'll be doing over these four weeks is to reflect on God's vision and our vision for our lives. It's an important uh, opportunity for us to take, a, to take stock, to take a step back from our regular routine, whether that's our work routine, our family routine, or even our church routine, uh, to see how we're going as a disciple of Christ, to, to see how we're going as a church, as disciples of Christ. And by the end of this series, my prayer is that you once again choose to be on board with God's vision, that you once again commit your time and your talents and your treasures to realize not your vision, but God's vision. And in particular, here at CSAC in 2019. And so we're going to start by remembering what God's vision is. That's what we're going to do this morning. Now remember, a vision is simply a picture of the future. A vision is a picture of the future that you're working towards, that you dream about, that you hope to realize. And so this vision that you have is what drives you, what gets you up in the morning, what motivates you to do what you do every day. And so let me give you uh, three examples uh, uh, that you might be familiar with already. Facebook, Oxfam, and Nike. Uh, so Facebook's vision is this, to give people the power to share and make the world more open and connected. And see that Facebook works towards this every day, can't you? And it's a big vision. It expresses their aspirations and their dreams. And even though they may never achieve it, that the 7.5 billion people will be connected and open with each other may never be realized, but millions and millions of dollars is poured out into technology to make it possible. They appoint the best people in the businesses, business. They do everything they can every day to make the world more open and connected because that's their vision. Or take Oxfam's vision, to see a just world without poverty. Now, that's a big vision, isn't it? It's a great vision, but it's a hopeful vision as well. Uh, because no matter how much money and resources they put into it, no matter how hard they work every day, it, it, the world's just not going to be a just world, a world without poverty. As Christians, we know that we're too sinful to let that happen. 
but it's a great vision nonetheless. Or, or take Nike, for example. In the 1960s, their vision was to crush Adidas. But it, but it hadn't happened. Uh, today, Adidas continues to be a thriving sports company. And so Nike changed their vision uh, to this, to love Adidas as we would have them love us. No, I'm kidding, it's not that. Uh, it, it's to be the number one athletic company in the world. And in a similar way, God has a vision. God didn't create us, God didn't create this world, God didn't do all he has done for nothing. He's done it for a purpose, he's done it because he has a vision. He has a goal, he has a destination that he wants to arrive at, and so he's been working every day to make it happen, to make it a reality. And this uh, uh, is unlike Facebook or Oxfam or Nike or any other vision that you might have heard of. God's vision of the future is, a, is not just a figment of his hopes and dreams, but a reality that's certain and guaranteed. We know this because he showed someone. He showed someone the future of the realization of his vision. And that someone is the Apostle John, the disciple of Jesus Christ. And you see, over 1900 years ago, John saw the fulfillment of God's vision. He recorded for us in Revelation 7 so that we might see it too. We might feel it too. We might work towards it too. And so as we now look at Revelation 7, uh, let, me, let me encourage you to notice three things. What is it that John the Apostle saw? And what did he see them doing? And why were they doing what they were doing? Who, what, and why? Okay, Revelation 7, 9. There before me, before John the Apostle, this is what God showed him. There was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Now, if you've ever been to a beer concert or to the, uh, uh, an AFL grand final, for example, then you know what it's like to be surrounded by a lot of people. So many that you can't even count. Imagine someone sitting there trying to count every single person. You'd get lost. You can't do it. You can't do it accurately because there are just too many people. And, but, but as you look around, this great multitude around you are all doing the same thing, and that's enjoying this great performance, this, this great spectacular that's in the center of the stadium. Now, if you've had that sort of experience, uh, then you'd have a glimpse of what the Apostle John saw and what the Apostle John felt. You see, John saw a great multitude that no one could count. We're talking millions upon millions of people, not just thousands and thousands, but millions and millions upon people. And they're not all Asian, thankfully. And not all West Coast supporters either, thankfully. They're from every nation, tribe, people and language, people from different nations like China and Peru, Ethiopia and Canada, people from different tribes like the tribes of the Amazon or the tribes of Uganda, people who speak different languages like Gaelic or French or Swahili or Hokkien. John saw people from every corner of the globe, people from all walks of life, people from every stage of life gathered for one purpose. And it wasn't standing around to enjoy a performance, but to participate in worshipping God. Verse 9 again, They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches, which is a sign of victory, in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. At the heart and center of God's vision for the future, 
It's the people of God gathered around God, worshipping God. The people of God gathered around God, worshipping God. And do you notice why all these people worshipping God? They said it because salvation belongs to God. Salvation that God made possible through his Son, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who was crucified on a Roman cross to give himself as a sacrifice of atonement. So that those who were once God's enemies, whose robes were stained with sin, whose lives were masked with rebellion, whose existence defiled God's very existence, were washed clean, were given white robes to wear, were made holy just as he is holy, so that they might stand in the presence of God, as the people of God, to worship God. That is God's vision. That is what God is doing. That is why we're here, and that's what God wants us to be doing. Not just then, but now, all the time. And it's a magnificent picture of the future, isn't it? That's where we'll be amongst the multitude. That's what we'll be doing, worshipping God and the Lamb, without hindrance, without sin. And it's all because God chose to save sinful people like you and me. And so because that's what God's vision is, and because that's what God is doing every day to realize, that's what we need to do. That's, that, that, that's the vision that should put all our visions into perspective. So if you work for Nike, don't talk about crushing Adidas. Talk about Jesus who crushed sin and death. If you work for Facebook, don't just give millions of people deep relationships behind computer screens. Offer people real and deep relationships with you and with Jesus. And if you work for Oxfam, don't just give people a wishful vision for a just world without poverty. Offer people a certain vision for a just world without suffering. Because later on in chapter 21 in Revelation John continues to see his vision expand. And so in, in Revelation 21, verse 4, we see this. In this new creation, in what God is doing, we see that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Do you notice what God said there? It's done. The future can't be more certain. The future can't be more guaranteed. It is done. And so if you're not yet a Christian and you're longing for something more in life and your vision for life has failed you, then come to Jesus. Maybe you've traveled the world but you still are unsatisfied. Come to Jesus. Maybe you got that promotion that you've been longing for but you still feel unfulfilled. Then come to Jesus. Maybe you're now in that relationship you've always longed for but you still don't feel complete. 
then come to Jesus. Come to Jesus because only he can fully satisfy you. Only he can offer you water from the spring of the water of life, which will not only satisfy you, it's free. Verse 6, To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I'll be their God and they will be my children. You know, it's going to be so good for the people of God, which is why it's so important for us not only to believe in God's vision, but to get on, to, get on board with God's vision. Because if, if we don't, then it means that our friends and our family may not also. Because unless we are sharing the gospel with them, unless we're casting God's vision upon them, unless we're encouraging them to turn to Christ, to receive the fullness of life, then they may never have that opportunity. We may be the only Christian that they know. And we don't want them, do we, to experience a second death. Verse 8, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. You see, friends, God's vision is big. It's bigger than Facebooks, and it's better than Oxfam's. And that's why our church's vision isn't simply to be a social club and connect people with each other like Facebook, nor is it simply to, be a, uh, uh, to, to, to uh, long for a just world without poverty and offer people temporary relief but not eternal salvation. Our church's vision is bigger and better than these two things because our church's vision is a local expression of God's magnificent vision. And that makes sense, doesn't it? This is God's church, and we've been saved not so that we can keep doing what we want to do. We've been saved so that we can be doing what God wants us to do. Not to fulfill our vision, but to fulfill God's vision. And if God's working everything towards fulfilling His vision, then, it, then we want to get on board, don't we? We don't want to cut against the grain of God's purposes and plans. We want to align ourselves and our lives and our decisions every day so that it's in line with God's vision and God's plans and God's purposes so that His vision might be fulfilled and not ours. I mean, if someone knew the future with absolute certainty and told you which stock to invest in, which currencies to buy, which property market's going to appreciate, then you'd be a fool not to jump on board. But we have a God whose vision is done. It's as good as done because it's guaranteed, it's certain we have his word. And it'd be a fool if we don't get on board and inherit the earth with him. And so in 2012, 2013, uh, when I first came to this church, the parish council and I prayed and studied scripture together for over a year. We, we, we did that to think God's thoughts after him, to ask ourselves hard questions like, why should we even exist as a church? If there are so many churches around us already, why bother? And the more we sought for God's wisdom, the more clarity we had from his word. But we kept working hard. We read books like Mark Devers, uh, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. We went on retreat together. 
We discuss our thoughts with, with the whole church to get their feedback and their input. And what we wanted for our church was essentially this. Heaven on earth. What we wanted was to give everyone a taste of what is to come. So that when people come through the doors here and meet with God's people around God's word, in heaven we're going to do that around the incarnate word of God, Jesus Christ, face to face. But now we come together around his word as well. His word written. His word preached. And so we wanted to give everyone, no matter their background, a taste of heaven. A, t- a-, a-, a church that reflects Revelation 7. And so we arrived at our current church's vision statement. And that is to be a thriving, multicultural, multilingual, and multi-generational gospel-shaped community. This vision statement was adopted by the church in 2013, and in 2014 we relaunched as the new church and renamed our church to Camwell South Anglican Church. Now, it might seem a little strange for you that as a church we have a vision. It sounds a bit corporate. But as you can see, a vision statement or a vision is simply a clear expression of what you're doing, of why you're doing what you're doing. And our vision statement is simply a derivative of what God's doing and His vision. And we're just expressing that locally. It's, it's simply a statement to unite us in the work of the gospel, to give us gospel clarity in everything we do, to inspire us, to encourage us to keep persevering, even when it's hard to do the work of the gospel. And it's going to be hard to achieve this vision, isn't it? It's a, it's a big vision. It's a big vision. To be multicultural is probably enough, let alone multilingual and multi-generation. That's a lot of multis. But it's worth the hard work. It's going to be worth the hard work because we want our church to be for everyone, no matter the person's background, culture, language, just like the vision that God has shown us in Revelation 7. And what a wonderful witness it will be if people from different cultures and languages and life stages can come together under the one roof and worship God in unison as a united church, doing the same thing, and that is to bring God glory and praise and honor. As we are being transformed by the gospel, as we grow in our love for each other and for God, as we serve God and each other more and more, what a great witness that would be. What a great testimony of God's amazing work in us and through us. And so that's why it's so important that We're also a gospel-shaped community. Do you notice that in the vision statement? Because the gospel doesn't just save us to become the people of God. The gospel teaches us how to live as the people of God. And so we want our church to be shaped by the gospel. And if that is what we want, then it starts with each and every one of us, doesn't it? It means that each and every one of us must be committed to living lives that's also shaped by the gospel. And sometimes we need help to know what that looks like. And I certainly did when I was at uni. See, I, I might have gone to uni as a Christian, a very young Christian, but I certainly wasn't living for God's vision. In fact, I didn't really think much of it. And therefore, I wasn't living much of a gospel-shaped life. 
I have become a Christian without fully understanding the full implications of what it means, what it looks like to be a Christian. My vision was still to be filthy rich, which isn't God's vision for any Christian, let alone me. And so God put a span in the works. One day I had a conversation with a senior staff worker at Christian Union at Melbourne Uni, and I asked him, why did you give up your science degree and your science career to come back to uni to talk to people like me about Jesus? I really didn't understand why anyone would do such a thing. It seemed very odd. And so, he, you know, why wouldn't he be pursuing his career? You know, the recognition, the rewards he'll receive, the money and the lifestyle he'll enjoy. Why, why give all that up? To dress like a uni student, to come back to talk to people like me. Well, what he said to me changed my life forever. He said to me, I don't want to look back on 30, 40 years of working life and look at all the chemicals I discovered or formulated. I don't want to look back on 30, 40 years of life and look at all the money I've made. I want to look back on my 30, 40 years of life and see how God has helped others become Christians and for Christians to grow mature in Him. And I just thought, wow, you're such a strange guy. I I didn't say it out loud, but I, I certainly thought it. That is so weird. But for some reason, the conversation kept replaying in my mind over and over again. And so for the next six months... I was pondering about this. Why would a person do that? And then it all clicked into place. Even though I claimed to be a Christian, even though I was willing to one day serve Jesus full time with my time and talents and treasures, the problem was that I wanted to fulfill my vision first. I came before Jesus. I wanted my vision realized, and then I'll consider helping Jesus out. I wanted to use my time, talents, and treasures to serve me before Jesus. You see, the preacher's vision changed my perspective in life. It changed my vision for my life. It changed my visions and goals. It changed my desires and my desires for my parents. My life's vision was to become filthy rich. But through the gospel, it was now to save the lost and see the lost found mature in him. Brothers and sisters, my prayer for you this morning is that you catch hold of God's vision. And that doesn't necessarily mean going into full-time gospel ministry. It might for some of you, and I pray that it does. But it will at least mean getting on board with what God's doing. So that His priorities sets your priorities. His agenda sets your agenda. His vision becomes your vision for your life. And so if you're wondering what this might look like every day, let me help explain with an illustration. So the other day I was at a cafe and I was working on this sermon. And I noticed how hard the waitress was working. Her hair was tied back, her sleeves were rolled up, and after she served me, she served another customer straight away. And if she wasn't serving another customer, she was cleaning the tables. And if she was cleaning the tables, she was behind the bench uh, tidying up. And if she wasn't tidying up behind the bench, then she was bringing out water. And so then I asked her, wow, you're so hardworking. Is this your business? Because it was really thriving. There were heaps of people in there. It was the first time I was there. And she said, no. I was really surprised. 
I thought she was the, uh, uh, the owner, not, not only because she was busy, but she was so joyful in all the work she was doing. She was so inten- intentional in what she was doing from one thing to another. She never had to be asked. In fact, her boss wasn't even there. Yet there was no, not a time when I saw her take out her phone to check her Facebook or text someone. But if the owner was there, the owner would be very pleased with her. Because if the owner wanted to build a business that was successful, then this waitress was building him a successful business. If the owner wanted to provide excellent customer service, well, this waitress was fulfilling that vision, providing excellent customer service. If the owner wanted to make his cafe great and make a name for himself, well, this owner would have been very pleased with this waitress because she was making his name great by making this cafe's name great. You see, the waitress worked like the cafe was her very own. She owned her boss's vision for the cafe. Nothing more could have been asked of her. She got on board with the boss's vision, and she worked and did everything she could joyfully, fulfilling it. And and that's what God wants us to do, to get on board with his vision, not just sometimes, not just when we feel like, not not half-heartedly dragging our feet, grudgingly, but all the time, and completely. Listen to what the Apostle Paul commanded every single Christian in the church in Corinth. Every single Christian. This is not, the letter wasn't just written to the elders or the leaders or the deacons or the parish council, no. It was written to every single Christian. You might have just converted that day. This applies to you. You might have been a Christian for 40 years. This applies to you. And what is it that Paul says? 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Always, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And of course it's not in vain because it is done. And so if you work, don't, don't, don't be just a worker. Be a Christian worker who works to please his or her Heavenly Father. If you have a If you have children, don't just be a parent who loves and raises their children. Be a parent who's a Christian parent first, who disciples their children in the knowledge and fear of God. And so whether you're at work or at church, at home or at uni, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. And you know what? So many of you are doing that. And even just over the past couple weeks, I've had so many stories. And I'll just, I'll just share a few with you because I've been so encouraged and I want you to be encouraged too. So recently, someone uh, was offered a promotion. But it would require her to work on uh, Sundays at times. So she wasn't willing to go through with the promotion. She gave it a pass because church was more important to her than to get a promotion, to earn more money, to climb the corporate ladder. How encouraging is that? Another person saw her workplace as a mission field, and so she's been praying for opportunities to share the gospel at work. Isn't that a wonderful prayer to have when you're going to work? That you not only witness Christ, but you also have opportunities to share Christ. And opportunities came her way. 
Uh, recently, someone was so encouraged by my interview with Tim Chong a couple of weeks ago about one-on-one discipleship in our church that they put in the communication card that they would like to give more money to the church to see more of that happen. How wonderful is that? Uh, another person has been investing in her relationships with unbelievers. Uh, she invited uh, 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 this woman and, and her family to the Colin Buchanan concert last week. Not only did she come with her son, the son brought a friend. And they loved it so much, they wanted to buy tickets to stay back for the second session as well. Or someone else recently heard about how at the rising dam in our place, it's, it's so terrible now, we've abandoned our downstairs. It's uninhabitable. It's awful. And so they offered for me to run ministry from their house, to have people over to do ministry there instead. How, how encouraging and sacrificial is that? How thoughtful and kind. Uh, another person recently had a big assessment due on the Monday, but instead of excusing herself from her ministry commitments or even from skipping church to, to, to get it done or to do a better job, to get a better grade, no, she, she, she went through with her commitments in ministry. She came to church joyfully. What a, what a wonderful encouragement. I mean, that's just six simple examples from six different people in our church in the last few weeks. How encouraging and how I am so encouraged as a pastor that our church are made up of people who are living gospel-shaped lives. And because we are, well, you know what it means? It means that we're fulfilling our vision. It means that we're growing as a gospel-shaped community. That the gospel really is transforming our lives and therefore transforming the way we think and the way we live and the way we relate to each other. What, what a wonderful, wonderful testimony. And so, brothers and sisters, if CSAC is your church family, I'd love for you to get on board with God's vision, the vision that God has given us. And that begins with you taking hold of the vision that God has shown us in Revelation. That you will take the gospel seriously. That you will let the gospel so infiltrate your mind and your heart that you will let the gospel transform you from the inside out. And sometimes we'll fail to live lives shaped by the gospel. We'll lose sight of God's vision for our lives and we'll get sucked up into climbing the corporate ladder We'll get distracted with our investments. We'll be preoccupied with our kids' co-curricular activities. And if that happens to you, or in case if that's, that's you today, then please remember that it's when we lose sight of God's vision, it's when we need the church the most. It's when you'll need a close brother and sister in Christ the most who will not look down on you, who will judge you and condemn you, no, 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 a brother and sister who would go alongside you and look towards Revelation 7 together with you and encourage you and remind you of what God is doing so that you might jump back on board and be in line with what God is doing, his plans and purposes for your life. Because you don't want to miss out, do you? There is a great inheritance that's waiting for us where there'll be no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death. 
brothers and sisters, let's keep living gospel-shaped lives. Let's keep becoming a gospel-shaped community so that we might bring God glory, praise, and honor. For salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you showed the Apostle John what you are seeking to accomplish, what your vision is, what you're working towards every day. Father, we thank you so much for our church that we can be on board with what you're doing and we pray that we are, that every single one of us are being transformed by the gospel, working towards fulfilling your vision for us, our church and our world. Please encourage us that we may see more fruit so that we see more clearly that you are at work. And we thank you that you have given us and helped us see so much fruit already as we've heard stories this morning about how our lives are being transformed and how we're growing as a gospel-shaped community. May all we do and who we are be ever-pleasing to you, for salvation belongs to you, and we long for the day when we will meet Christ face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, uh, this is an opportunity to ask uh, some questions and, uh, about the sermon or about our vision and, and what we're doing as a church. Uh, Dave, are there any questions that have come through? There are. There's quite a few questions okay, that have come great. through. Uh, I'll give you uh, uh, one. Thanks for everyone who's uh, texting questions. Uh, there's lots of questions. So I won't be able to get through them all, unfortunately. And we'll also, if you've got questions you want to raise your hand, I'll try to get to you as well. But uh, here's one. Uh, heaven and earth involves no tears, no injustice, no broken relationships. How is our church displaying uh, those things right now? Does the role of the church involve equipping God's people along these lines as well? Uh, yeah, okay. Um, so I'm just trying to understand the question. So is the question asking, um, at the end of time, when God's vision is realized, there's no more suffering? And so is part of the goal of the church to see suffering come to an end? Is that what it's asking? Yes. Okay, I'm get, getting a thumbs up. Uh, yes, yeah, so um, ultimately we have to... So I'll use Oxfam as an example. It's a great vision statement, but it's not achievable, right? And so on the one hand, you have to ask, is it worth doing? And I think absolutely, definitely. And Christians should be involved with social justice and so forth. But social justice and alleviating um, uh, poverty and ensuring that there's justice in the world and so forth, should be coming from being gospel-centered people, uh, and, and that would flow out in all those things. The danger is that if social justice and these things become our primary goal, uh, then we might be helping someone get their next meal, but we might not see them around the throne of Christ. Uh, and so Christians do have a responsibility, I think, to be involved with uh, doing all those things uh, because Jesus did. That's very clear. Uh, but Jesus didn't come to heal the sick. He came to die. And so uh, the danger is when social justice becomes our distraction uh, and, the folk, uh, and the gospel becomes uh, uh, sidelined, 
which does happen, unfortunately. And so the more we are committed to the gospel, I hope that we will be more committed to social justice as well. And so, um, and so recently, uh, a couple of months ago, when I was preaching through Isaiah, someone left a comment card about how we could be more engaged with social justice as a church. In fact, just a few days ago, someone commented to me and said, um, one, of the, one of the things that they see the church lacking is our involvement with the community. I thought that they're very valid questions. And so that's really provoked me as uh, a minister to be thinking, well, uh, how should we grow as a church that has more social awareness, social engagement? Uh, we're working on a few things, uh, but what I would love to see is, as the body is made up of different parts, that if that is your passion and that's what drives you and that you want to actually see that happen because you love Jesus and you love the lost, please speak to me. I drive something, run something, help us as a church to be more engaged with social justice with what's happening with, um, you know, the, the refugee crisis and, and so forth. I'd love for our church to be doing more. Um, and, and I'm very sorry as a pastor that we're not uh, and that it hasn't been a big focus of mine. And so, and so that is a huge weakness of mine, absolutely. Um, yeah. That, uh, next question, maybe? Uh, feel free to come back to me afterwards, like to continue the, those conversations if you want to talk about it more. Sure, I'll grab another one from here and then we can go on for the floor. If you, if you do have a question, put your hand and I'll try to, I'll read this now, but do put your hand up as Dave's speaking and I'll try to make note of that. Uh, another question. Uh, coming off the example that you gave with the waitress, yep. uh, working hard, uh, is God's vision uh, reliant on our being willing to invest in it? Can we hinder the vision of God by our actions? Yeah, great question. Uh, so, um, so my understanding from the question is, um, can we hinder God's vision if we don't get on board? Um, my concern with that question is that why wouldn't you want to get on board? Um, God's vision is done. No one can stop God fulfilling what he's seeking to achieve. But he so loves us that he wants us to be part of it so that we can share in his joy in seeing it come to fruition and knowing that we were part of that that we're part of the solution, we're part of the fulfillment, and so therefore we can share in the glory. And so, um, yeah, so I guess I'll be asking, like, why wouldn't you want to get on board? Why? But, but we definitely can't hinder it. But you want to get on board because you want to share in what God's doing. I hope I've answered the question. Feel free to come up to me as well, please. Great questions, excellent questions. Great. Another question. Uh, what changes could we make this week to be captured by this better vision? Uh, that is, what uh, daily things help us make this happen and not just burn us, out, uh, burn us out or to drift away? Yeah, great question again. Uh, yeah, so uh, practically, what does that look like this week for me? Uh, look, the, the, there is a reason why uh, preaching the gospel to yourself is something that we harp on about. Uh, that is in our real journal and the first thing we encourage you to do. Uh, know that you're saved by grace and that you're saved to do good works for God's glory. Uh, and so you need to be reminded that the gospel is why you do everything. And so my encouragement is uh, keep preaching the gospel to yourself. That, that, that's a very simple, practical way. Uh, invest in relationships, especially with people who you know is for Christ, for the gospel, and for you. 
uh, because they will help you uh, not to, God willing, burn out, uh, but also at the same time, not to drift away as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, I could go on. There are so many things we could do, but remind yourself of the gospel and have friends who would do, do the same for you. Mm. Yeah, that's why I think DTs are so important. Um, a big part of our pastoral care and our encouragement is, is, through, is through DTs because we want to encourage you all to have intimate, close relationships. Uh, and I'll be talking more about that in the new service info session in a couple of weeks. Question okay? from the floor. Any, any questions from the floor? All right, okay. I'll give you one more question okay. and uh, we should wrap up. Uh, does... Uh, do you, want, do you want to kind of uh, comment on the kind of difference between the word vision and God's absolute sovereign plan? Uh, vision doesn't imply absolute. Yep. Um, yeah, great question. And so that's why I mentioned like Oxfam, it's wishful hope that they would achieve this, but with God's, it's certain and guaranteed. So there is a huge difference. Uh, and look, the, maybe the language of our church's vision or God's vision um, uh, is unhelpful because it, it has all these other connotations. But I, I can't really think of uh, a clearer way for people to know this is where we're heading. This is why we're doing what we're doing. Uh, so our vision is why we, why we exist. Our mission is what do we do every day to realize our vision? And, and who knows our mission statement? To make mature and mobilize disciples of Jesus Christ from every nation for God's glory. Right? So if we make mature and mobilize every day, will become a multicultural, multilingual, multi-gospel, uh, multi-generational gospel-shaped community. That's right. So three M's for the vision, three M's for the mission. Hopefully it makes it a bit more memorable. Okay, great. Look, excellent questions. I'm sorry we don't have time to go through the others. I'm so glad that they've come through, though. But please do grab me or the pastoral leadership team or the parish council to talk more about it as well. And just a reminder, if, if you haven't signed up as a gospel partner, I'd love for you to do that this month. Uh, please join me for lunch on the side uh, so we can talk more about that because we'd love for more people to live gospel-shaped lives so that we might grow as a gospel-shaped community.